Like you said, my name is Chris, one of the many Chris's. I'm not the one in the airport. I'm the one in front of you. Um, and I have a Mamu. Does anyone? Mamu? Anybody else? Anybody else have a Mamu over here? No? Anybody know what a Mamu is? No? So I think in every family, at least one grandparent has a super weird name, right? So, so Mamu is my mom's mom, my maternal grandmother. And my sister, Brooke, is the eldest grandchild, so she's the one who named her that. Um, so it's her fault that Maxine Farr has been uh, Mamu almost solely for the last 40 years. Uh, but she's a good Mamu. So she's a great Mamu, really. Does lots of Mamu-y things. Um, one of, the, one of my, my clearest memories of growing up in my family is anytime we would go to visit my grandparents, Mamu would be waiting on the porch when we uh, pulled into the driveway. And we'd come up, and she'd hug us and pull us in, and then she'd push down on my head and say, you're getting too tall. I'm going to tie a brick to your head and keep you small, right? Like, like she, she didn't want me to get, to get too big. Um, I had my own Mamu moment this month because my eldest daughter turned eight. And so I took her to the doctor for her eight-year checkup. And the doctor, without even consulting me, said to her, you have grown enough that you don't have to sit in a booster seat in the car anymore. You can just sit in the seat. And in my head, I was like, my baby doesn't need a booster anymore? Like, what? And I was, so I immediately started price checking bricks and trying to figure out the feasibility of the best way to attach it. Because here's the thing, like, I love my kids. They're so great, and I love these moments that I have with them while they're little. Um, our family, we just came home yesterday, actually, from spending about a week up in Steamboat, just the four of us, fantastic time together, right? And I can get to reminiscing or, heaven forbid, scaling way too far up in the photos on my phone and looking at them when they're little and getting so homesick for those moments, right? And we just, like, don't, we love it so much, we don't want it to move on. We don't want our kids to grow up. But the truth is, if our kids didn't grow up, that would be a much worse problem to have, right? Like if I was still changing diapers, I probably wouldn't be trying to figure out how to tie a brick on anybody's head. So we are in our third week of this series called Gospel, where we're actually going through one of the books in the Bible called Colossians, um, and we come to chapter three. And chapter three is all about growing up. It's about how we grow up in our faith. So if you haven't been with us for the last two weeks, Bill taught the last two weeks, we went through chapters one and two. The reason that we decided to call a series on Colossians gospel is because this book gives us an incredibly clear description of the gospel. Gospel means good news. What's the good news? The good news is that Jesus has come and that Jesus alone is all that we need in order to experience and live the full life that God has intended for each one of us. This letter is written because people were coming into this local church in a town called Colossae. It's in uh, um, Earth. Um, <laughs> and uh, they're starting to tell these people that, that, that they're newer to the faith that, that actually just your faith in Jesus isn't enough. There's this other stuff you have to do also. You need to follow these rituals. You need to obey this big, long list of do's and don'ts, right? Don't touch this. Don't eat that. Don't drink that. Do observe this, right? They've given them this big, long list. 
And Paul is writing it to say, no, 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 no. None of that is true. It's what the theologians would call the sufficiency of Christ, saying that Jesus alone, your faith in Jesus alone is the only thing needed by which you enter into the life that God has for you. That's the good news. That's what we've gone over in chapters one and two. Now we get to chapter three. And chapter three is is Paul talking about what happens if you do that? What happens in the life of the person who has decided to set their intention on following Jesus. It's about growing up in our faith. And before we dive into that, two things. One, I wanna say for a minute about why, as a church, we would decide to tackle a series like this, to just literally go chapter by chapter through a book of the Bible. And it has everything to do actually with the Bible. So some of you might've brought one with you. All of you probably have one, or at least access to one on a phone. In the Bible, we have this several thousand year old book that really is this incredible gift and tool that can help us grow up in our relationship with Jesus, to grow up in our faith. But it's also a several thousand year old book written in and to cultures that we are not a part of. And because of all of that time and all of that cultural distance, there's a lot in the Bible that when we read it just looks weird. And that weirdness can really be an obstacle to figuring out how do we take this thing that I've heard is this gift and tool to help me grow and have it help me actually grow. It can be hard. And so that's why we've decided as a church, we're just gonna do it together. We're gonna read through this book of the Bible together and talk about it. There's, um, there's a scholar, a Bible scholar uh, who I really like. Guy's name is Scott McKnight. He teaches at a school out in Chicago. And in one of his books, he, he, he gives us this question to start every time we read a passage of the Bible that I found incredibly helpful. And he says, anytime I read the Bible, I just start by asking myself, how might I live this out today? I'm reading this thing written to somebody who wasn't me in a place where I am not in a time that I did not live, but it actually might have something to say about how I live my life today. So he says, he always starts with that question, How might I live this out today? On Tuesday mornings at seven um, at the tables right out there, I lead a men's Bible study here at Ascent. Um, Just quick plug on that. If you're a dude and you are awake at 7 a.m. on a Tuesday, you should come. Open invite. You don't have to sign up. You don't have to like commit to never missing. But if you ever want to come, 7 a.m. Tuesdays, come join us. I always start that study with that question. Before we read anything, I just want you to hold it in the back of your head. How might something that I hear today offer me an opportunity to put it into action, to live a little bit differently? And then at the end of the study, I say it again and invite people to say, anything stand out to you today? Did you hear anything either when we were reading the Bible out loud or in something somebody said that you thought, you know what, that's that's the thought I'm taking with me today. And I'm going to try to figure out how to live that out today. Um, And so that's what we're going to do right now. We're going to read through a pretty decent-sized portion um, in bits of Colossians chapter 3. And so I want you right now to put that question just all right somewhere up there on the front of your mind. What might you hear that will be an opportunity for you to live it out today? And then final thing before we dive right in. Um, 
If you have never just decided to pick up the Bible and start reading through it on your own, um, I hope you will. But let me just prepare you for something that will happen. When you read the Bible, hopefully you're going to find things in it that will challenge you. But occasionally you're going to come on to something that's going to upset you. And it might even offend you. And most of the time, pastor-type people don't choose those passages to preach on. Right? I'm going to talk about some real feel-good stuff today. I'm really looking forward to it. It's going to be awesome. And if that's all you've ever heard, and then you open up the Bible and you find something that deeply offends you, you can feel tricked or duped. I feel like, why did nobody ever tell me this was in there? Right? Well, Colossians has a passage just like that. And so next week, I'm going to teach on that passage. And I'm not going to tell you what it's about, mostly because I'm trying to trick you into reading ahead. And if that happens, then so be it. Let me say a prayer, and then we'll read some Bible. God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for this place. Thank you for this group of people. God, we thank you um, for the Bible, that these words written from one person to another or to a group of people so long ago still contain words that can speak directly into our life. God, we're going to take uh, this journey together hearing about what it looks like to grow up in our faith. And so my prayer for, for myself and for everyone here is that we would leave today changed, that we would be embarking on a journey of growth, being made more and more into the person you have always invited us to be. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, here we go. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. So, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Okay, when I read this, the very first thing that I notice is the very first word. Did you catch it? The first word is so. All right, if you're old like me, I need you to go back to junior high school, middle school, whatever it was for you, and think back to your English class. What part of speech is the word so? Nobody. Wow, way to go. It's a conjunction. There's a clue. All right, next question. You can actually answer this one. Are you allowed to start a sentence with a conjunction? No, you're not. But this sentence starts with a conjunction. The reason you don't start a sentence with a conjunction is because it attaches two thoughts together, right? And you cannot understand the second one if you don't know what the first one is. When you're reading the Bible, if a sentence starts with so, it would behoove you to go read the previous paragraph or chapter, right? So here's what Paul has just been saying. He has been saying to the people in um, the, this church of the Colossians, he's saying, listen, guys, spiritual growth is not what these people are telling you. It's not about just getting the right list of do's and don'ts and making sure that you adhere to it perfectly. As if all that Jesus had come to do was replace an old list of do's and don'ts with a new list of do's and don'ts. Paul is saying, no, that is not true. So, right? So, and then what does he say? He says, set your minds on things that are above. He's saying, my conversation with you today in this letter is not going to be about defining which behaviors are the right ones. He's saying, we have to change our entire perspective on life. 
You see, if you get focused on this list, like literally the things that the Colossians were being told was like, hey, you got to, uh, they were being asked to live what's what we might call an ascetic lifestyle, right? So like eating very little, drinking very little, restricting all of like any kind of indulgence in their life. He's saying you're focused on earthly things, things that are gonna perish. You need to focus on the things that are above. We have to think about all of this differently. And he's beginning to get to something that's going to be at the very heart of this whole chapter. And it's this idea. It's the idea that while when we really are following Jesus, there will be some behavioral changes that are going to work their way out in our life. But what Paul wants us to see is that it is incredibly important both why and how we do things. It's not just about doing, adhering to the right list. Why and how we do it is incredibly important. And you're gonna see that idea really come out as we keep going. And so, Paul's now gonna move on to give us an idea. What does this new perspective on life look like? He continues in verse five. Put to death, therefore, whatever in you is earthly, fornication, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming on those who are disobedient. These are the ways you also once followed when you were living that life, but now you must get rid of all such things, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive language from your mouth. Okay. So Paul gives us two lists. If you were counting, each one of those lists had five words in it. The first, and in and, and both lists, there's a lot of overlap in the words, right? He's kind of getting at a theme. The first list, um, some of those words are harder to translate into English, but all five of those words, he's really talking about sexual sin. The second list, he's talking about the way that we hurt people with, the way, with the, how we use our tongue, with our speech. So he's talking about sex, and he's talking about speech and saying that there are some behaviors here that we have to put to death. We have to leave those behind. And it's important to note that what Paul is saying is not that these two things are evil, right? He's not saying that sex in itself is evil or that the ability to communicate and speak. He's talking about the abuse and misuse of these things. And I actually do think, just as a side note, it's really important to note that the Bible itself does not have a low view of human sexuality. The church is guilty over many periods of, of that being true of the teaching of the church. The Bible doesn't. And I think that this comparison is instructive, right? That, that Paul is gonna hold both our sexuality and our speech as, as equals, noticing both of these are incredibly powerful, can do very good things, and can do very damaging things. For good, when they're expressed in, in mutuality with a heart and care, genuine care for others and a desire to build up, and for bad, when it's selfish, when it's focused only on getting and taking rather than on giving. See, the, the overall theme here is Paul is pointing out behaviors that are destructive to our ability to live in relationship and community with other people. He's saying these are things that break all of that down because they are too overly focused on the self, on selfishness, on what I can get for me. 
So there's another Bible study here to send. It's on Mondays at three that I get to do uh, with our vintage group. That's our uh, senior citizens crew. And so if that's you, again, three o'clock every Monday, uh, come join us. We'd love to have you. No signups, no commitment. Just show up. It'd be great. We'd just come on in. We'll have some coffee together. Um, as I was leading that group, though, I, I began to realize that I was sitting in the midst of people who were dramatically more qualified to be teaching than I was. And so I started tapping on some, some shoulders and having other people uh, take turns. And my friend Steve was leading just this last week. We're going through a different book in the Bible called James. But he said something that I haven't been able to get out of my head. He shared that as a young man, he had the good fortune to have several mentors in his life who were much older. Um, among them, he had two former seminary professors, both in their mid-90s. And he said that there's a time that he asked them, like, man, you've lived so much life, you've lived so faithfully, how do you do it? Like, is there a secret? What's your advice? He said that after thoughtfulness and discussing, they said, you know, Steve, you gotta watch out for selfishness. That one never goes away. It always comes creeping back up. You gotta watch out for the self. And that is something that Paul is going to lead us back to. But I can tell you, for me, this is my how can I live this out today moment? Because when I start thinking about that, how when I get focused on what I want and need, how that can change the way I treat other people, a lot of red flags go up for me in my life. Because I notice that the times that I am most likely to act out in ways that are destructive to relationship and community is when I'm really focused on what I want. Here's a great example. The time that I am most likely to raise my voice, to get angry, to maybe even yell a little bit, is with my kids. And when do I get angry with my kids? It's when I get focused on what I wish I was doing instead. When I start feeling like, oh, there's all these other things that I want to do, or honestly, in my head, that I need to do, right? And I can let these two amazing little gifts from God feel like they are just a burden keeping me from doing stuff that I should be doing. And then I get impatient, and then I get angry, right? When I get focused on that, I miss the fact that their only offense is that they're five and eight and they love me. And they want me to be present with them. But I'm thinking about the email I need to send, or if that other one came in, or and the reason that this gets right to the heart of why I said earlier, it matters so much both why and how we do things. Because sometimes what I've convinced myself that I need to be doing is preparing for one of those Bible studies. Or honestly, writing the sermon you're listening to right now. That can really seem like it's the right thing to do. But if it makes me mean, impatient, unkind to my kids... It's the wrong thing. It matters who we are on the inside and how that helps us interpret the situations in our life so much more than just doing the right thing or avoiding the wrong thing. Paul goes on, verse nine. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have stripped off the old self with its practices and have clothed yourselves with the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of its creator. 
In that renewal, there is no longer Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free. But Christ is all and in all. So there's some interesting um, imagery here, this idea of like stripping off the old self and clothing yourselves with the new self. It's an analogy for them to baptism. So the way that they did baptism in the ancient world is you would take off the outer garment and you would go into the water, you'd be baptized. And as you emerge on the other side, they would give you a new like outer garment, a new robe, and it would be white. And there's a symbolism in baptism. It's why we still do it. It's this, it's this sign of saying, I have made a decision to take off this old way, this old thing that defined me, and I am deciding to set my intention on living in a new way with Jesus to continue to grow in all of these new things. And I put on this new garment, and it marks that something is different for me going forward. That's what's going on here. I love it. This idea of there's some intentionality, some decision. I'm going to do something different on the other side of these waters. And then we get this beautiful statement. It's one of the most beautiful things in the whole Bible, I think, when he says that in this renewal, in this new life that we step into, there is no longer Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. And listen, it's important to note that this is not about washing away what makes us distinct and unique. It's not about taking off our, our heritage, our cultural, our, our culture, our ethnicity, our racial background. We still get to be everything that we are just as God created us. What it's saying, the thing that gets washed away is the distinctions in, between groups that leave some out and others in. That in this new community that God, that Jesus is coming to institute, everyone is respected and included. And why? Because it says, because Christ is in all, right? In every single person. Then it goes on, verse 12. This is really good. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other just as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. And be thankful. Guys, this is the best. This is the best because we've had this list of things in our life. They said, put this to death, like get rid of that. Why? Because it destroys relationship. It destroys community. It breaks other people down. And now we have this list of things, right? And what do they do? It supports community. It builds up relationship. It honors and cares for other people. But, and you have to, you can't miss it. The very first sentence says that you are chosen you are holy, you are beloved, and that's before anything else has happened. That's the starting point, and it's always in that order, and we can never let the order change. You cannot switch this verse around and make it say, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, bear with one another, forgive, all that, and then I will choose you, and you will be made holy and beloved. No. God says, right now you're chosen. Right now you're holy. Why? Because I chose you. 
right now you are loved. You haven't earned it and you're not gonna earn it. You're just my child and that's just what you get. And then, and then we get this invitation to step into that reality, to be transformed, to grow, to change. If we get the order wrong, guilt and shame will always be the driving force in your life. And if guilt and shame is the driving force in your life, you gotta know that is not the Holy Spirit. That is not God's hope for you. God says, no, 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 right now. I choose you. You're holy. You're loved. But we get this list of virtues, these things that we get to to put on, and they're all things that are necessary for us to live well in relationship and community towards other people. Um, They're not, you you don't practice humility by yourself, right? You kind of need another person around in order to be humble. Kindness is something we show to other people. Patience is something that gets tested when we have to live on other people's timelines, right? But I will say this, because I'll bet I'm not the only person in the room right now who maybe can struggle to be kind to myself or patient with myself. And that I do believe there's an invitation here for us to, to do that personally as well. But I also notice there's kind of a weird turn of phrase here, like put on kindness. It's kind of a weird way to say be nice, right? Why does it say it that way? Well, in my study I discovered, um, so there's um, a, a somewhat famous sociological study that's been uh, replicated over and over again. And what it really s- sets out to do is that any group of people like that are in a shared space, like those of us who are in the room right now, we're a group of people in a shared space, and they can, they can replicate this like across cultures all over the place to say that there is one single thing that every person in a shared space knows together perfectly and in unison. And do you know what that thing is? Everyone in this room knows that nobody in this room is naked. Like ask yourself, did any part of you think there was a naked person in this room? No, you knew no one was naked. We all do, it's a magical thing. Nobody came to church in the Sam's Club naked today. Uh, those of you watching online, I, may not be true. Um, <laughs> if, if you're doing naked church at home, you know, you do you, boo-boo, whatever. Um, but we are grateful that you stayed there. It would have been quite distracting and that this is a one-way feed. Um, now, here's the thing. When you meet a new person, you maybe don't realize it, but the truth is the first thing you notice is that they're, they're not naked. Really, it really jumps out of you. you. You can't miss it. So when Paul says, put on compassion... Put on kindness. Here's what I think he means. As we grow up in our faith, it will become as obvious to everyone we meet that we are kind as it is that we put on pants today. As we grow up in our faith, these are the words that the people we meet would choose to describe us. Compassionate kind, patient, humble. This is who we are being changed into. Paul's directions here, and this is so incredibly important, Paul's directions on how we live in response to our faith focuses on the attributes of our character, not on the character of our actions. Let me say that again. 
Paul's direction on how we grow up in our faith focuses on the attributes of our character, who we really are deep inside, not on the character of the actions that we act out. It's not about, or I mean, it it is about what am I like, not what I do. But candidly, I think often I might prefer to just have a detailed list. You know, actually, if you could just give me some bullet points and line it all out, that way I don't have to actually try to like figure out and discern in a difficult situation what's the right thing to do. Make it easy. I like bright, clean lines like that. But that gets problematic. I've been uh, working here at Ascent for almost five years, uh, but for my whole career before that, I worked in student ministry with middle school and high school kids um, at a church out in California. And so for a lot of years, that's who I lived my life with. That's who I prayed for. That's who I thought about. That's who I talked to. And in that time, I got really frustrated because so many of the the materials, the resources that were available to me and these students, things like um, the, the books that I was reading, the camps and the speakers that we heard at those camps that we went to, the small group materials that got produced, um, the curriculums that we could buy, so much of it I felt like was so focused on moralism and behavior modification. It felt like we'd go like, read through this whole book and it felt like it was more interested in kids not using profanity and coming home before curfew than it was about them really knowing who Jesus was and being changed deeply inside. And it made me so mad because I just found I just don't care about those things. Maybe I should have cared more, but I just didn't. And it's because I had a memory I couldn't shake. I had the memory of being a 14-year-old kid whose parents were getting divorced and being so insecure and unsure and afraid and so stinking lonely. And then meeting Jesus. And like really meeting Jesus. Like this intense and ongoing encounter, this relationship that formed with the God of the universe who knew me and loved me. And maybe at that point in my life, more importantly, helped me. I needed help. And I found it in Jesus. And so I just couldn't care that much about going through a whole thing that felt like it was just going to teach my kids not to say cuss words. Because I wanted them to have what I had. Because it changed me. It's changing me still. And I wanted them to get to be changed in the same way. See, We can want the idea of like, just just tell me what to do and what not to do because it feels easier. But the truth is, the thing that often feels like the easiest and most direct path often isn't. That list was never going to get those kids where I hoped they would go. Certainly didn't get me where I needed to be. And it won't get us where we're going either. It's funny, Jesus actually got in the most trouble and got the most upset only with church people. The thing that ultimately led to Jesus being handed over to be executed is that he healed people on the Sabbath, right? He showed compassion and kindness to broken people in desperate need. And the rule followers said, you should have waited till tomorrow. Today's about resting. They were focused on the outside stuff and not the internal transformation of character to truly align themselves with the heart of God. And for us, sometimes, you know what? Saying the hard thing 
is actually the most kind thing we can do. There are some times in our life that compassion demands that we enter into the most painful parts of someone's life rather than just glossing it over. No list will ever be adequate because there will always be exceptions. We all have to keep growing in this. None of us are already there. And it goes back to what we said, chapter three, what's it about? It's about growing up in our faith. And the truth is that this is not a faith of arrival. You never get there. You never just check the box and be like, did it. There's no certificate coming to you. We are always moving, always learning, always growing, increasing in kindness and compassion and patience and forgiveness and meekness. How about meekness, right? That's a weird word. We don't say that one very often. Certainly doesn't make its way onto a list of virtues for most of us, right? Because we tend to think of meekness as weakness. I did some reading on this word. I think the best thing I found on it said is like, you gotta think about the difference between meekness and weakness. Meekness is like uh, a wild stallion that has been tamed and trained. It still has all the strength, all the power, but now it's under control. And it's not driven by a need to constantly display it, to test it against other people, right? It's like the opposite of bullying. It's knowing I have strength and being so uh, confident in that that I don't have to push everybody else around. We all are growing in this. Here's a fun game. I know in this room, we always have people who maybe you've been a Christian for a long time. And then we have people who you're just kind of getting started on that road. And then we also basically always in this room have some people who you're not even started on that road, but maybe you're curious or you wanted a donut or there was like a cute girl here. Um, And it's important to know, seriously, this room is always open to every category and you, you are welcome and you belong here. But if you are one of those people in the room who maybe you've been doing this this faith thing for a while, here's a fun game to play at lunch today. Um, Ask somebody who's known you over that period of time and say, hey, am, am I more patient now than I was two years ago or six months ago? Where's the needle moving? How's my compassion? Ask the people who know you best, but then get ready to hear an answer you may not like. Are we growing? So let's go back to my favorite question to ask with the Bible. What am I supposed to do with this, right? How might I live this out today? How am I supposed to actually get more compassion, forgiveness, patience, meekness? Maybe you're thinking that, like, how does that happen? Aren't some people just more compassionate than others? Aren't some people just more patient, more kind? Like, this is just how I am, take it or leave it, right? Or maybe you're thinking, yeah, I could see how maybe it's possible to grow in those things. That sounds hard. That sounds really hard. I don't don't know that I want to do that. Well, here's what you got to hear. It is hard. It is hard. But we can do hard things. Say amen back to me if you hear me. We can do hard things. You can do hard things. There is a God in heaven who can do anything, who knows you, who looks at you, who made you and says, there is nothing that with me you can't do. You can do hard things. And if you are in this room and and maybe you're just thinking, you know, actually, I kind of have that whole list on lockdown. Is there any extra credit? Um, 
Let me just say, you're the only person who thinks that. <laughs> and humility might be the, the best one for you to start with. But the truth is, like, we have to do some self-reflection because on the surface level, I, almost no person thinks, yeah, I'm an unkind person. Even bad guys actually think they're the good guy, right? Everybody's kind to somebody, even if it's just their cat, right? But I think every person can benefit from asking ourselves the question, this is the question I ask myself, to whom am I unkind? In which parts of my life do I lack patience? Where do I need to grow in compassion? I know there's not a word on this list that I don't need to grow in. I think that's probably true for all of us. And so hear this. This is your clarion call. The word of God is calling every one of us to change. Here's the great news. The Spirit of God is eager to help that change happen. The Spirit of God is eager to help us grow. And that's the best news that there is, right? Because we're not, we're not in this on our own. We have this promise, this promise from God that says that if we are willing to change, the Spirit of God will show up in our life and help make that happen but we do still have a role to play in it. And so I'm giving everyone homework. If you're here, if you're out there, everyone gets homework tonight. I'm gonna read this list of virtues again, and I want you to pick one of them. And only you know which is the one you need to pick, but you're gonna pick one of them, and you're gonna say, over the next month, I want to grow in this particular attribute of my character. I want to grow in this virtue. You ready? Here's the list. Pick one. I'm going to make your parents sign a form. Make sure you did it. Compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, forgiveness, love. You got your word? Now get better at it. <laughs> That's, maybe you don't know how to do that. Here, here's some suggestions. Pray about it. My word is patience. You're going to find me praying every day, saying, God, help me to be more patient. Help me to catch myself before I get out of line. Help me to stay present in the moment I'm living in, not thinking about the things that are to come. God, help me be more patient. Pray to God. If you pray to God to help you, God will help you. Here's another thing you can try. Learn about it. Read about it. Find a book on that subject. Type it into like your favorite podcast supply, sermons about whichever you pick, right? Bible verses about. Put that in Google and like write those down and carry them with you. Immerse yourself in your topic. Fill your brain, fill your heart with it and you will start to find change. Here's another idea. Ask other people in your life to pray about that for you. Ask the people you love. This month, I want to become a more patient person. Would you commit for the next 30 days to pray for patience for me? Here's another idea. Take that a step further. Ask some trusted people in your life who have the opportunity to observe you, whether this is at home, at work, on a team, wherever it is. Tell them, I want to get better at this. This month, would you watch me and give me feedback? 
That one feel a little scary? Say, I trust you, I respect you, I want you to help me. Would you show me when I lack and when I'm doing well? You can do something similar for yourself. Get a little notebook. At the end of every day, think back through the previous day. When I woke up, who I ran into, where I got coffee, what I had for breakfast, what meetings I went to, what friends I talked to. Go hour by hour through your day and write out, make a little tally, two sides. Where did you have a victory? Where did you excel in compassion, if that's your word? And then celebrate that with God. Pray that to God and say, thank you, God. It's happening. We're doing it, right? And in the the times when you have failures, because you will, right? Mark those down too, and then confess them to God. Say, God, I messed up right here. Will you forgive me? And will you help me? Help me be different. Help me grow. Ask God to do that. You can look back at that at the end of the month and see, is there a trend? I'll bet there will be. Here's another idea. If you've got like a a smartwatch or a phone or something, set an hourly chime with just your word on it so that every hour you just get a little reminder of patience, kindness, compassion. Sometimes we got the best intent and we just forget. Well, there's something you can do to help you not forget. Or or do something else, right? I don't know what works best for you. I feel like those were six pretty good ideas, but maybe you got another one. Just that, here's the thing, commit, do something. Just do something. Be willing to take that first step because if you do, God will be right there with you to join you and walk the rest of the way. If you do that, if you spend this time with Jesus, if you set your heart and your mind towards going, growing in that relationship with him, here's the thing, Jesus is gonna do all the heavy lifting. And what maybe feels like a burden at first or sounds like a burden right now will start to feel like freedom. And what maybe sounds like having to totally change yourself is gonna start to feel like becoming who you have always been. You know, every family has stories uh, that become famous in the family because of how often they get retold. One of my favorite ones from my childhood, I'm preschool aged. I've been checked into kids ministry at church so my parents can go to the service. Back then we called it Sunday school. Uh, So I'm in Sunday school and I'm building with blocks, undoubtedly building a tower because that's the only thing you can build with blocks. And another kid comes by and knocks down my tower. And in that moment... I begin to weave a beautiful tapestry of four-letter words with a, with a fluency and creativity previously unknown. And so preschool me is sitting in Sunday school just cussing up a storm. And one of the teachers walks behind me and whispers under her breath to the other teacher, I know whose son you must be. Because see, to know my dad was to know that my dad had a gift for words certain words in particular. And he also had a son who was watching, who was listening, and who was emulating him. So listen, when we hear this call in the letter to the Colossians from from Paul, we have to remember that we have a Father in heaven who is compassionate, who is kind, who is patient, who is humble, who is meek, who is forgiving, and who loves you so, so much. 
And the more that we watch and listen, the more we'll naturally emulate that. See, the Bible actually says that we were all made in the image of God as we put on these virtues, right? As we put these things on, as our character is reformed and changed, we learn that these have actually always been ours. And we become empowered to go out in this world and live in such a way that everyone who sees us can say, I know whose kid you are. Would you guys pray with me? God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this message. God, we thank you that you made us and you made us for so much more. God, that you are calling us to be the resources of light in this world and that we're not gonna do there and get there by our own strength and effort, God, but by our willingness to walk hand in hand with you. So Lord, for every one of us, I pray that in these next 30 days, you would grow us and change us as we become more and more the person you have always made us to be. It's in your name we pray, amen.